Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week we're asking the question of how you ask others for money for your startup. And this is a problem that was faced by our interview, our interviewee this week, Peter O'Malley, who is a young entrepreneur who used to work for the Web Summit. And about a year ago, he had an idea for a company that would specialise in finding high-end freelance technology and marketing executives, particularly for short-term projects and contracts. But he needed money to get this off the ground. So he and his co-founder, Galen Lowney, went to the likes of Brian Corcoran of Paddy Power, CPL's Anne Herity, uh, Paddy Cosgrave and others and persuaded them to take a bet on him. And all in all, he has raised a million euro for Advisable.com, his startup. So I caught up with Peter earlier on to ask him how he did it. Peter, welcome to The Big Tech Show. Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> that was quite a pause there, a dramatic pause. <laughs> Um, Peter, we're going to talk a little bit about Advisable, the company that you started. Um, before we get to that, though, you came from uh, the Web Summit and you're one of a number of people who has kind of graduated, if I can use that word, um, from uh, the Web Summit. One of the best stories that Paddy Cosgrave told me about you, because he was in this studio before, he told me a great story about you ringing up the head of Goldman Sachs. Do you remember that? Yeah, this was actually the head of um, McKinsey, the CEO of McKinsey. Oh, McKinsey, who, uh, was it? Called, uh, yeah, yeah, a guy called Tom McBarton. So I, I kind of called him out, him out of the blue one day and he replied and we scheduled a call. And uh, Paddy kind of didn't believe that I was speaking to him, so he insisted on joining the call. And uh, yeah, we, had a, we ended up having a call with the CEO of McKinsey and they ended up becoming one of our sponsors eventually as a result around a year later as a result of that conversation. And correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was that you had been somehow you had understood that your task was to go find somebody from McKinsey and you ended up just basically not knowing any better, ringing up and getting ahead of McKinsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I think I was probably a bit overambitious in my task. I think Paddy was well, obviously not ahead of uh, McKinsey Ireland, but uh, I think I overshot a little bit and ended up uh, going in a bit too senior, but it worked out in the end, thankfully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about Advisable, but just on the web summit, because because I've mentioned it, what was it like working there? Did you find it to be a, a confidence booster or like did it did it shape the way you thought? Yeah, yeah. So it was like I joined in, I think, 2012. So I think it was when it was relatively small and relatively still still relatively Irish. 
and uh, basically at, the, at that point in time, Paddy just had huge ambitions for it. So he wanted it even then when I think it was around 4,000 people the year before, he was talking about it being like 50,000 people and like the, all the heads of state from all countries coming and CEOs of all these major companies. So his vision from the outset was huge. And I think just that ambition that ended up like becoming a reality like just was like really motivational. So he kind of like set really, really high goals and we, we, we shot to make the event like twice as big every year and to have all these extraordinary people come. And I think just setting that ambition and then like working really, really hard to improve it and working really, really hard to achieve it. That was like, a, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. I, I wonder, is there a lesson for us there? Because in Ireland in particular, we can be kind of snarky about, um, you know, stated amb- ambition stated that bluntly and starkly um, and yet it often does get results doesn't it because the Web Summit has basically gone on to you know have 60 70,000 people there it's now a massive event I was at the, the Lisbon event last year and probably go again th- this year um, do you think do you think there's a lesson to be learned there in that kind of because a lot of people would slag people you know Paddy Paddy off for stating his ambition so bluntly but but maybe it works yeah yeah I, I think in the us in particular people have no issue making the most like ridiculous claims on what they're going to do so like companies when they're like two people are talking about how they're going to get to a billion in sales and they're talking about like how they're going to build their culture to scale to a thousand people when they're like a handful of people in a bedroom you know mm. and i think that's kind of like looked upon positively there Whereas I think in, in Ireland, a lot of the time, it can, like people can think you're kind of like overstepping your bounds or you're, you're being too ambitious and you should scale it back a bit. And I think there's definitely uh, some good elements of the kind of like more typically Irish uh, mindset. But then there's obviously a lot that can be learned from like setting a really ambitious goal and shooting for it and being like not shy about stating it and being very public about what you're trying to achieve. And mm. I think Paddy kind of like did that very well. So he, he was very public about wanting to like achieve very very big things and to get huge numbers of people there and it's become this huge global event mm-hmm. and i think that just enabled him to actually achieve that ambition and i think there's there's a lot that a lot of irish companies can learn from that and mm-hmm. there's, there's lots of other there's lots of irish companies that have similar mentalities as well like but both based in ireland and from irish founders overseas so like people like obviously like stripe and intercom and handy and companies like that where you have like very ambitious irish led and irish founded and irish based companies so it's definitely, definitely not the only one, but I think it's definitely a mindset a lot more companies could uh, do with having based out of Ireland. Yeah, I remember talking to Owen uh, from Intercom, uh, one of the co-founders of Intercom, and he had a little bit of that ambition. And, you know, he was adamant that he wasn't going to uh, try and sell the company at an early stage. And he was talking about, you know, global uh, purpose. And I've spoken to both Patrick and John Collison at various times, and they've a- expressed the same thing. How, from your point of view and I promise you we will get on to advisable in a minute from your point of view looking at the Irish tech scene at the moment do you think it has changed um, in the last couple of years and and, and if so how, how so yeah no I think there's, there's a lot of like um, like unashamedly ambitious companies coming up like the ones you mentioned and I think that's like that's very very positive and I think a lot of the companies just have very like global ambitions from day one I think that's again very positive so like there's, it's probably very rare you'd find an Irish company right now that would be happy staying in Ireland as a market. Like typically they're like from the get go, they're talking about launching in the US, they're talking about like 
building a global product that will scale and we're talking about like opening offices up overseas. So I think a lot of companies are rightly seeing Ireland as a great base, but not being constrained by it as a market. So they're they're starting mm -hmm. day one thinking about being a global company. And I think that's a great thing. And I, I'd say there's most Irish founded companies these days would start with that mentality. So I think that's mm -hmm. I think that's a very positive development from what I've seen. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Advisable, your your own startup. So, uh, Advisable is is essentially helps companies to find and hopefully hire freelance marketing specialists, right? T tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, if you're looking to find like a, like a, a full time employee right now, so if you want to find like a, a full time specialist to say like run Facebook ads for you, there's there's tons of channels to find like really great full time employees like LinkedIn and Indeed.com. However, a lot of the time, like if, if you often need a skill set, but you don't need it at full time, you might need it short term for a few weeks to help you with a project, or you might need it on a part time basis to advise you on how you're going to implement something or test something. And basically, right now, there's very few places to find high quality freelance talent. So there's, there's lots of places to find like low quality talent in the developing world. But if you want to find someone, say, who if, if you're looking for like a, a search engine optimization specialist and you want someone who's like, led SEO from Trivago or someone who's worked in the space for 10 years and who has a proven track record, it's very, very difficult. So basically what we're trying to do with Advisable is to make the process of finding high quality freelance talents as easy and quick as possible. So if you have a need for a particular talent, so if you're looking for someone who's a specialist in like Facebook ads or in search engine optimization or in marketing analytics, and you would need them to have a very particular background and a particular skill set, we're basically able to find that person for you and then connect you within like two to three days. Uh, so it just means that if you're a company, you can basically tap into high quality talent on demand as you need it. And that can be like incredibly empowering for companies so they can kind of like test lots more things, do lots more projects without adding a lot of like money, like people to their headcount or without adding a lot of like fixed expenditure in terms of employee salaries. And what's your secret sauce? Why can you reach these people where, where other methods can't? Uh, so basically, we're just like very like a lot of what um, I did at WebSummit and elsewhere is like very good targeting of uh, people kind of using like all, lots of various online advertising platforms and lots of different tactics. So so basically, we're very good at like if there are a thousand people who are a particular skill set, figuring out who those the thousand people are and then getting in front of them and then attracting them to our platform as we need them. So we're, we're basically just like very good at like all that kind of like. Uh, online targeting stuff. <laughs> talk, talk to me a little bit about uh, the, the the people that um, you're targeting there who are uh, recruitable. What what kind of people are there? What sort of stage of, of life are they at? Or, or why are they available for, for these short-term gigs? Yeah, so a, a lot of them might have, um, so say um, one person off the top of my head, he led SEO for one of the biggest um, travel companies in the world. And this is a guy who's held senior positions, senior marketing positions at all kinds of like, like top performing companies, mm. but for him, he's currently living in uh, Barcelona and he's been working like pretty much for like 60 hours a week for the last 10 hours and he's after having a few kids mm -hmm. and he, he like he still wants to work and he still wants to do like engaging, challenging work, but he doesn't want to be constrained by the all the requirements of a full time job. Like he doesn't want to be doing meetings all the time. He doesn't want to be uh, like in the office away from him. He just want to be commuting for a few hours. He basically mm -hmm. wants to be able to like live at home, still do challenging work, still make good money from it, but no, but basically not have to do all that other stuff that usually comes. So for him to basically like spend his time working at home, like consulting for or, like doing part-time work for companies, he can basically 
probably earn more money than he would have otherwise do like more interesting challenging work and basically have like full flexibility and freedom in terms of where, where he does that work and how he does it so for him he basically gets like lots of flexibility without sacrificing much um mm -hmm. in the way of like how much like income he can make so he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too and uh, i think an increasing number of people especially younger people are seeing that as like increasingly lucrative so rather than really like, would, you, would, you, would, you, would you would you say so because you're kind of describing the life there of um a highly skilled professional consultant who maybe is somewhat financially secure um do you, do you, but you 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 think you see um that as a potential uh choice that younger people are are now making yeah yeah i think it is so when i finished up with web summit i basically spent i think a year and a half doing this so i i kind of like worked for probably like 10 different companies mm -hmm. on uh, like a part-time or short-term basis just helping them with different projects and it just can meant I, that I could basically. Yeah. Can I ask you how, how did how did that come about? Because so you finish up with the Web Summit. So if you're working with a number of companies over the next eighteen months, how how does that actually come about? Do you go uh, sort of looking for work, or do people just call you up? Yeah, so uh, a mix of both. So I think uh, again, Patty was kind enough to introduce me to some people, and then I'd met a bunch of people mm. while on my travels. So like while working with Web Summit, I was like lucky enough to like meet lots of like investors and CEOs and like and I was able to reach out to them at that point in time and a lot of them kind of had like challenges that they thought I'd be able to help with so uh so I, I would guess I was quite lucky in that I was like exposed to lots of people who would need what I was able to provide and I think what, what advisable is doing is trying to like democratize access to that opportunity so so if someone doesn't happen to like know lots of these people who are able to give them opportunities they're still able to utilize their skill set. So that's basically, yeah. Mm. Um, also, it's worth saying that, uh, so Advisable, one of the reasons you're talking to us today, because Advisable has raised uh, a million euro, uh, and congratulations yeah. uh, for that. It's the, the rounds you. being led by Frontline. You've also an, int an interesting group of angel investors. Um, some of them are name-checked here. Brian Corcoran, from the former chief executive of Paddy Parabetfair, Paddy himself, Paddy Cosgrave, Chief Executive of the Web Summit, Anne Herity, Chief Executive of CPL, and Ushin Hanrahan, who we've had on the show, the Chief Executive of uh, Handy.com. Um, I take it these are mostly people you know. Yeah, so a lot of them are people that uh, me or my co-founder, Galen, have worked mm. with in the past and who, who we've kind of known for a while and, uh, yeah, and, who, who, and who have an interest in this area. So like... Uh, like people like Anne, obviously working in the recruitment space for a long time, is is interesting to see how that goes and to like look at different opportunities in the space. And Brian as well, in his early career, had like a lot of interest in the recruitment space. So it's a combination of people we know and people who are excited by this opportunity mm -hmm. and uh, the the potential that it has. Is this the first time you've raised money? Yeah, so this is the first time we raised money. So we, we were we were basically going for. Uh, a little under a year and we were yeah we were, we were mm. bootstrapped up until then yeah how did you find that process of raising money um so for us we we basically um went very very quickly so we immediately uh rather than like diving in and, and spending tons of money building like a, a huge product we kind of like went to test the market as quickly as possible and we, we basically tried to get as much validation as possible in terms of like getting some clients on board and we managed to get like we managed to prove that like 
the requirement for what we were offering was very, was very much in demand and we, we got lots of clients who wanted what we offered and we were able to like service those clients. So we were basically able to go to various investors with like pretty good evidence that this is something that people want within like, and that we were able to provide it to them and that we need, this is what we need to do to get to the point where we'll be able to do this at a bigger scale. So for us, uh, because we had so much evidence behind what we were doing, it, it made it a little bit easier than a company who just had like a, a, a like a story and a dream. We, we were able to like kind of like like lay, like like reduce a lot of the doubts that people have around kind of early stage opportunities by kind of like uh, yeah like testing a lot of things very very quickly and very very uh, efficiently basically. Mm. And undoubtedly, you're on good terms with. Uh, many of these people, the, the angels, may, maybe you're even friends with some of them, maybe the, the, uh, Paddy Cosgrave, maybe others. But I've, al- I've always wondered, and I wonder if you have wondered, about the family and friends raising money. You hear about this all the time. It's a very common way, particularly for seed funding, to, to raise a bit of money to, for, for family and friends. I'm not sure if you would describe this round as family and friends. It was led by, by Frontline, which is Frontline Ventures, which is an established venture capitalist firm uh, here in Dublin. Um, but what, I've often wondered what it's like to actually approach someone who you're actually friends with and say, well, look, you know me, I've, you know, I've got a great idea here. I've got some great tech. How about coming in for, you know, 20K or 50K or uh, did, did, was that a situation that you were in at all in, in this in this instance? Yeah, yeah. I guess with like some of the like with, with Patty, for example, like we're like we've known each other for a while. So, but like, so it was kind of like that. But I think uh, I think I'd be kind of like hesitant to ask people who uh, like who are kind of like outside the tech world, mm. just because it seems like um, like even with like uh, I think we have a pretty good shot of succeeding. But even with like a lot of the the most high potential companies, there's definitely significant downside, and there's de- like most likely chances are it won't work out. And I think. Uh, I wouldn't like to expose people who, who aren't like aware of that risk and who aren't aware mm. of the dynamics in the space to that kind of thing. So I, I, I'd be pretty hesitant. But I, I, I can see if people are if people are willing to take the risk and people are understanding of uh, of what that entails and they're most likely going to lose their money. I, I don't see anything wrong with it. But I, I, I try to avoid that kind of thing, ideally. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's because it's funny because some of the most successful companies in the world um, have been built based on uh, you know, uh, funding from family and friends. I just finished reading uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog book. I'm not sure if you've read that. That's it's the autobiography yeah. of Phil Knight, uh, the, the Nike founder. And he basically survived by getting money off not only his own family, but the family of some of his employees who could barely afford yeah. it. And had he not gotten that money, the company wouldn't have taken off. And yet, you know, I was just like reading the bits where he's getting the money. I was kind of squirming, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was the same with um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon as well. I think he raised his initial funding from his family. His family, but I'd imagine, yeah. it out, I'd imagine it turned out quite well for them. Yeah, there was a piece in I don't know if it was Bloomberg or Business Insider recently estimating that. I think his dad or his mum or maybe both of them maybe billionaires at this point yeah, because yeah. they they gave him something like fifty grand or something at an early point. Yeah, unfortunately, not every company turns out like Amazon. So no, but, uh, uh, yeah. let, let, let's be honest. <laughs> let's almost no company turns out uh, like uh, Amazon. <laughs> Literally no. Um, you worked for a while in Pointy, uh, didn't you? That's yeah. yeah, and we've had them on the show as well. And Pointy is a company that is uh, just raised, I think, twelve million recently. That it's a startup in Dublin, which essentially allows local shops and traders to have their products discoverable uh, online much more easily 
um, using technology. Um, do, how, how did you find that? Now, that was fantastic. Like, um, yeah, Mark from Pointy is also investment advisable. So, and, oh, okay. and we're, we're, so yeah, yeah, so they're 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 doing fantastically well. Mm. So they, uh, yeah, they're they're on track to be maybe like one percent of all U.S. stores by the end of this year, which, which is, is just like astronomical when you think about yeah. that. So they 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 basically have visibility over what products are selling mm. in any store across the U.S. They're using this data to mm. help power Google search results and to with, with all kinds of partnerships and whatnot. So it's it's incredible the kind of like growth that uh, that they've been on and they they they're definitely look set to continue. So that's like uh, yeah, it's incredibly exciting. And they're another one of those companies, those Irish companies, that's just incredibly ambitious in their scope, like yeah. to, to build a hardware device and get that into. One percent of all stores in the U.S. within, like, I think maybe like four years, just like a, a, a huge achievement, and they're they're it's, they're, it's they're going a lot further than that. I remember engaging yeah. with them when they were just starting out, and uh, you know, I was because I, I was I was an early tester of the the service, and I was I kept looking to try and confound them with obscure products and shops. So there's no way that they could track, and some of them they didn't have, but some of them they did have. When they were making their announcement recently, their funding announcement. I had thought wrongly that they were going to announce some sort of acquisition by Amazon because I, that's exactly the kind of company that I can see Amazon, you know, shelling over a hundred million dollars for. Um, and I, it's very possible that you know that that, that has been offered. But um, that's a company that uh, is is really on its on its way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I, I'm not sure if they'd even accept that with the ambitious goals that they have. So mm. they have, uh, yeah, they have. Uh, like they have huge plans ahead so and they 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 have like a, a lot of money in the bank to mm. help power them so i think they'll i think they'll go a lot further than that hopefully do you know what's funny about that point and i'm sorry i know i'm going off on these little mini tangents here but when we when we talk right. about how much an entrepreneur or founder would sell his or her company for um it's it's very interesting i remember when stripe was first valued at 100 million dollars and so i would have been interviewing both patrick and john reasonably regularly around that time much less regularly now i have to say seeing as they're both billionaires but still very but still occasionally um and you'd say you tell the guy or the or the, the man or woman sitting on your left you know in the newsroom that this company was now by these you know with these young limerick uh, guys was now worth 100 million and the general reaction was oh for god's sake sure why don't they sell it sure they, they'll never have to work again you know <laughs> and uh, it, it's always been a kind of a funny thing that the most successful ambitious entrepreneurs are the ones who just don't really have much ambition to sell out for 50 million dollars or 100 million dollars like they really do want to take their company as far as it can go yeah yeah you know, actually, Dara Hickey, who's another co-founder of the Web Summit, he wrote an interesting column for us uh, about this. He kind of was on a mini rant, saying that um, Irish founders sometimes they 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 sell out too quickly. They you know they um, they wait till they get an offer of ten or twenty million, and then they uh, they sell, and then they, there's backslaps all around, and everyone congratulates themselves, and, and they yeah. go on the circuit. I think the difference is. In, in Ireland, that's seen as success, um, mm. whereas in Silicon Valley, that's seen as a terrible failure. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. so I think I think it's, it's it's a very different perspective. That if the Collison brothers had sold in, in uh, for whoever much it was back mm. then, they'd probably be well regarded in Ireland, but no one in Silicon Valley would know who they are or would care yeah. who they are. You know, yeah. just because it would be a pretty uh, mediocre outcome. Mm. But uh, so I think I think it's probably again to do with the the scale of ambition. That's mm. different. Uh, that's different 
people in different uh, countries have. And, and also as to how you regard money, like those guys genuinely don't really care that much about money. They genuinely don't. It's not, I mean, I'm, it's not a cliche. They actually don't. To Patrick Collison, $10 million or $1 million is the same as a billion dollars. I know that sounds kind of weird, yeah. but that is the strong impression I have gotten over years and talk. They're actually genuinely more interested in solving a payments problem and actually achieving peer recognition for that than, you know, becoming some sort of Larry Ellison and buying a yacht, which they could afford to do now if they wanted. Yeah, um, that's true. But uh, so, and what, what's your what's your own um, what, what, what's your own uh, trajectory? Do you think for uh, advisable? Where are you going to go from here? And 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 you know, what's your next step? Yeah, so I, I guess in terms of our next next steps, um, we're basically just kind of like um, building everything properly now. So a lot of what, a lot of what we've done before was kind of like hacked together in different ways and. Uh, and it worked well, but it didn't work scalably. So we're trying to build everything um, to the point that will work at a significant scale. Mm. And um, then basically I try to get into the minds and into the hands of as many customers as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so, so basically um, uh, my feeling is uh, uh, that every company should be using like freelancers a lot more than they are right now and that they everyone could stand to benefit from that so companies could get a lot more done freelancers and workers could get a lot more flexibility and be paid a lot more and have more enjoyable lives what, what, why do you think freelancers to, uh, are in some cases um, a preferable option um, so say if you're uh, say if you're like an e-commerce company you're like a, a 20 person Irish e-commerce company and you want to launch a, like a search engine optimization strategy uh, you, you basically want to um, you want to like make sure that you're appearing on page one of Google whenever anyone is searching for like related terms to your products. So at that point, if you're like a 20 person company, for you to hire like a, an SEO expert would probably be like incredibly inefficient. You know, it's probably mm -hmm. not going to be worthwhile enough for you to pay like a hundred thousand euro plus salary, but you still need someone with that expertise. So in that case, rather than uh, like ignoring that as a potential channel, even though it could be vital to the success of your business. You could basically like hire someone for maybe like five hours a week, and that person with mm. five hours a week could have like a huge impact on your strategy and how you execute it, and mean that you could get the same benefit of having like a full-time employee with a fraction of the cost. And that's like one area, but like if if you're a business and you treat everything as that in, in that kind of way, where you just think about what expertise could be plugged into a, a particular strategy or a particular tactic, you know, that would help it succeed. You can basically like have people working in like small amounts right across your business that are contributing different skill sets that basically like help you do lots more than you would do if you were just utilizing full-time employees. So like for us as a company, we, we have maybe 30 different freelancers working for us right now doing everything from like, uh, like logo design to web developments to uh, branding to content marketing to SEO to like Google advertising. And basically, that just means that we're getting so much more done than we would if we were just a company that just used our uh, internal skills and were able to like tap into a lot more different people and different skill sets for relatively cheap compared to hiring a full-time employee. Are these for very compartmentalized um, activities, though? Because I'm wondering, is it possible that someone you hire on a freelance basis isn't as passionate or committed to the progression of the company as somebody who you hire full-time? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think that there's like a, a time and a place for freelancers and there's a time and a place for full-time employees. So things like strategy and things like uh, 
like um, the company's focus and the and that kind of thing. Oh, I think they always need to be something that's done internally. So if you have a freelancer who's guiding your strategy, that's probably going to end very badly because they probably don't understand enough of your business or your market or anything to basically like guide that. But basically, if you're doing the strategy and project management internally, and you're the person the person giving it that drive, and you're basically like hiring people on an hourly basis to contribute to that drive, then I think that works. But if you're basically like hiring people to guide your company and they're not committed long-term to your company, that's probably that's probably not going to end very well for anyone. Mm. So I think it, there's definitely a time and a place for both. There's a, a, there's a time and a place for like full-time employees and then there's a time and a place for freelancers. But my feeling is that the, that's kind of like overly balanced towards full-time employees right now and a, a lot more of what is full-time employment now could be freelance employment and it would work out better for everyone if it was, but, but definitely not everything. So mm. yeah like like core product and stuff yeah yeah and lastly peter um you uh you kind of although it's a dublin based and it's an, it's an irish company you you yourself are partially based in berlin right yeah so i i'm so our company we're, we're trying to build our company completely remotely uh and, and that's kind of part of the whole um that's kind of part of the whole movement that's pushing people towards freelance employment and hiring more freelancers generally that um, like the, the need to have an office is kind of like uh, diminishing more and more as time goes on. Mm. And basically, yeah, we're, we're trying to be like a complete remote company and I'm, I'm spending time in Berlin and then um, my co-founder and I are going to San Francisco for uh, for a few months as well. So we're, we're trying for to basically a few months. build the company. Yeah, yeah. All right, where are you going to live? Oh, uh, we, we managed to get a cheap Airbnb. So <laughs> it's, wow. it's not pretty, but it works. Well, cheap now by San Francisco <laughs> terms is not cheap by uh, by by, uh, by by any measure. The rest of us would understand. And why, why are you going over there? Uh, so basically, uh, kind of to get a feeling for if there are like um, tangible benefits to being based there long term, because obviously a lot of uh, like um, great Irish companies have either had a lot of their um, Either their full-time operations or spend a lot of the time there, and I'm basically trying to figure out if it's worth us kind of like considering moving there full-time, mm. or if that if those benefits aren't big enough and it makes sense for us to be somewhere with like a lower cost base or somewhere where there it's it's not so uh, like technology industry driven. So we're we're basically just trying to figure out if, if it makes sense to move there full-time and if if that would be uh, yeah that would be a good move so long-term. When you land, are you going to network the hell out of the Irish um, diaspora there? Are you a natural networker that way? Uh, I wouldn't say a natural networker, but I'll figure I'll figure it out. Hopefully, I'll email a lot of people, and hopefully, hopefully, a lot of them will will uh, take pity and reply. Because so, there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> we'll of goodwill. There's a lot of goodwill. There, I mean, yeah. I, I've, I have found that and, and lots of people I've spoken to have found that when they go over, a lot of people will are willing to meet you for a coffee and they're pretty busy, but they'll still meet you for a coffee. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, an attitude there of um, I think what they call paying it forward, where, mm. where basically if you, when, when you were at the early stages of your career, people will have often done favors for you or met you mm -hmm. or or like or gone out of their way to help you. And people who are at the later stages of the career then kind of feel indebted towards the people who are younger to them. So they're basically like paying the, the favor that they received back to mm. people who are at the earlier stages of the career. And it's kind of like a very like virtuous cycle that results in, uh, yeah, like people helping each other out a lot more than they would if they were just purely self-interested. And I think that it's a very positive thing. Well, you know how Intercom got there, right? You've, you've seen that story, right? With, wasn't it Biz Stone, the Twitter co-founder? 
how they basically went over there. They landed in San Francisco, cold called Biz Stone, said, hi, we're a couple of Irish guys. We'd like to, we think we've got an interesting thing. We'd like to buy you a Guinness. And he was so charmed that um, he, uh, he met up with them and uh, he became essentially a very important early influence and I think an investor, an early investor in Intercom as well. Nice, yeah. We'll, we'll try that a few times. So no pressure, no pressure, Peter. Um, okay, well, listen, th- thanks a million for coming on uh, on the show today with us, Peter. Uh, it's Peter O'Malley there. And by the way, Peter's co-founder is um, Galen Lowney. Is that, it's, I'm pronouncing that right, right? Galen Lowney? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. yeah and the company is advisable.com and they've just raised a million euro from Frontline Ventures and a group of leading angel investors. Great, thanks very much, Adrian. And that was Peter O'Malley, the chief executive and co-founder of Advisable.com. And that's all we have time for this week, folks. Uh, We'll be here at the same time next week. If you do like this podcast, please hit like or tell others about it. But until next week, bye-bye.